and uh, you just didn't really know how to pray. I don't know what to ask for, what to, what to say, how to, how to ask God for help in this particular situation. And, uh, and the pressure's on, right? People are listening and, and you got to say something. So what do you say? What do you pray for? Fortunately, as Christians, we have a few of these kind of stock phrases that we use that just kind of fill in in those situations, um, kind of like how like cheap advertising has stock photos, right? They, uh, they, they have these pictures that just kind of anyone can use. They're generic enough. They kind of fit any situation, um, whatever context you put them in. Um, they're overall quite pleasant, but, but not very specific. Um, we pray, Lord, bless them. God, would you, would you keep them? Lord, would you touch them? Um, maybe the most common, I think this is the one I would fall back on. Lord, just be with them, right? Be with so-and-so in his struggle or in their mourning or whatever it is. God, just, just be with them. And maybe it's a bit of a stock prayer request. Sometimes you're maybe guilty of praying it that way, um, kind of generically, because we don't know what else to pray, and, and, and therefore we don't really think about what we're saying, and it becomes easily empty words. Maybe on the other hand, when we don't know what to pray, maybe that's a fantastic thing to pray for somebody. Maybe that's an amazing thing to ask, and maybe rather than saying it less, we just need to understand it a little more, be a little more intentional when we pray that. We need to stop and recognize the significance of God with us. What does that mean? As we look at Genesis 26 this morning, um, we see this overview of the life of Isaac. And, and there's one thing that, that stands out. I was wrestling through this passage, reading it over and over. And sometimes I can just be oblivious and blind, trying to figure out what exactly is God trying to teach us here? It's the presence of the Lord. It's all about the, the presence of the Lord. Throughout chapter 26, there are these three statements at kind of crucial moments. Verse 3, the Lord says uh, to Isaac, I will be with you. And then verse 24, the Lord says, I am with you. And then verse 28, Abimelech says to Isaac, the Lord has been with you. It's all about God being with Isaac and what that means. Future, present, and past. I will be with you. I am with you. Um, the Lord has been with you. It's another fairly long chapter, so I'm just going to take it, read through it one piece at a time as we go along. Um, look with me first at uh, um, Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. Um, here we see... God saying to Isaac, I will be with you. And this is a call for faith in obedience. Faith in obedience. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in the land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. 
I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with his wife. And so Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her, Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Do you join me? Let's pray together. Father, be with us as we come to your word, as we open um, this sacred text. Be with us. God, open our eyes to see your truth. Lord, humble our hearts before you. Father, I pray for those who are weak, struggling, that they would see the closeness of who you are, Pray for those who are wrestling with sin and temptation that they would have faith in obedience knowing that you are with us. God, may our lives be a, a testimony that you have been with us to a world that needs you so badly. God, speak to us this morning as we come to your word. May your truth go forth. May it do its work in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, here in these first 11 verses, we see God saying to Isaac, I will be with you. And, and, and I think this calls us to, to faith in obedience. Chapter 26 opens with a common problem that we find throughout the book of Genesis. There is a famine. And so seeking to escape the land or escape the famine, um, Isaac took his family over to the land of Gerar. Um, Gerar is in the southwest of Israel, just inland from the Gaza Strip. I think we all have a good picture of the map of Israel in our heads these days, if you're watching the news. Um, they're, they're just to the east of that, most likely. Um, the region would have included some of that Gaza Strip. Um, but Canaan is, uh, is an arid climate. Um, so probably as this uh, famine comes, as drought comes, his goal was probably making his way down to Egypt. Egypt has the Nile River, and so there's always water. There's always crops growing in Egypt, even if drought comes in the more arid Canaan. But the Lord intercepts Isaac along the way. Um, verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac. Now, we're reading through Scripture, and it's easy for us to just kind of skim over words like that, stop and take stock of that. God himself appeared to Isaac. This is life-transforming moment. This is amazing. To hear the very words of God himself. 
And the Lord says to Isaac, don't go down to Egypt. Stay. Stay in the land. And he gave him this command, followed by the promise, I will be with you and I will bless you. The Lord reiterates the covenant then that he's made to Abraham. Verse three, I will establish the oath that I swore to your father, Abraham. Um, That word established there is key. This is not a new covenant. Um, This is the establishing, the keeping, the upholding of the same covenant that he made with Abraham as he is now being faithful to Abraham's offspring, Isaac. And there are three elements to God's covenant with Abraham, and they're reiterated here. God says, I will multiply your offspring, and I will give your offspring this land, and through your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Verse 5 then, um, the Lord reminds Isaac of the obedience of Abraham, that Abraham obeyed the Lord, and, 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 he, and he heaps up the phrases here. He kept the the commandments and the statutes and the laws. That's a a lofty statement. It's it's repeated in in kind of building out the completeness of Abraham's obedience. Now, if you've been paying attention, you're wondering, uh, actually, I read the story. Abraham kind of takes three steps forward, two steps back. Abraham's faith and obedience were faltering. But the key verse that hangs over the life of Abraham uh, is Genesis 15, 6. Abraham was not perfect by any stretch, but Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. I, I, think, we're, I think we're meant to see that here. Abraham trusted God and God counted him as righteous as he walked by faith. The Lord counts that to him. So this is the setup The Lord says to Isaac, I will be with you. Obey me and and I will bless you. Stay here and I will bless you and and be with you. And it's so much uh, repetition of what God had said to Abraham. He obeyed me and I blessed him. And it's interesting that the story of Isaac is told then from this point as, as almost parallel to the story of Abraham. Their experiences line up one after another. Isaac is portrayed as walking in the footsteps of his father. Um, so much so, some, some scholars, you need to know, there's ridiculous, crazy scholars out there uh, who would say, well, this is just one story and it's kind of just been recorded twice. Um, Obviously, if you have any regard for the word of God, that's not the case. This chapter opens saying, um, this is not the famine from Abraham. I know it's similar, but new famine, different one. Um, This is Isaac. But Moses, as he's writing this, is retelling the story of Isaac in a way that, that parallels the story of his father. The Lord called Isaac into obedience. Verse six, settle in Gerar. And he obeys. He stays. The Lord called Abraham, go to a land that I will tell you. And he went. And now the Lord says to Isaac, stay in the land that I will tell you. And he stays. This is a small verse there, but don't miss it. That's big obedience. That's a big deal. The water, the food, the safety, the security, that was all down in Egypt. The logical move, especially for a sojourner who has no roots here, pick up and go to Egypt. But in obedience to the Lord, Isaac stayed in Gerar, um, which is in the promised land. But then in the very next verse, just 
so much like his father Abraham. Isaac fears for his life among the Philistines, and he lied, saying that Rebekah, his wife, was his sister. It, it's exactly what Abraham did. Of course, his lie is found out. Um, Abraham's lie was found out miraculously. The Lord revealed it. Isaac's lie just gets uncovered naturally. Abimelech looks out the window and he sees Isaac laughing with his wife, Rebekah. Depending on your translation, that word laughing gets translated a bunch of different ways. Um, laughing is the right one. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, this is Isaac's name that we've been having these play on words with Isaac's name being laughter throughout. And, uh, and, and, and there's this play on words with Isaac's name. He's laughing with Rebecca. Now, obviously, whatever that laughing is, um, it's something that would be inappropriate for a brother-sister because Abimelech sees that. Um, but I think the undertone there is a bit of a jab. Um, you're making a mockery of what you've told me, Isaac. You're lying. Now, it's possible that this is the same Abimelech that Abraham dealt with. Um, just looking at the context of this story and what's happening, this is, this is happening um, after Isaac is married to Rebekah, um, but presumably before they have the twins um, or their marriage would have been obvious. And so we're somewhere between uh, 40 and 60 years after Abraham was in Gerar. So maybe Abimelech is very old. Um, it's also possible that Abimelech, and actually Phicol we'll see again um, down later in this chapter, it's possible that those are just both dynastic names. They're family names passed down or they're um, honorary titles like Pharaoh. We call our king the Abimelech. Um, either way, regardless, what we see here is Isaac, like his father, one minute trusting the Lord, walking in, in faithful obedience, and the next minute, forgetting the Lord and walking in fear. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. That was God's promise to Isaac. I will be with you and I will bless you. The same God that had created the world out of nothing in six days. The same God who brought the, the judgment of the flood and that rescued Noah through that flood. The same God who had called Abraham out of Ur, the same God who had protected Abraham in Egypt and in Gerar, that God said, I will be with you. As long as Isaac has his eyes there, as long as he's resting in that truth, he's walking in confident obedience. But isn't Isaac so much not only like Abraham, but like the rest of us? It's like five minutes later, he's forgotten. He's forgotten. He's looked away from the Lord. He begins to, to fear. He perceives danger living amongst the Philistines. What if they kill me because of my wife? As soon as things don't go quite the way he expects, he looks away from the Lord and he tries to figure out his own way. I got this, God. Obedience was a, a fine idea there, but now this is serious. I have to fix this. And he begins to come up with this sinful strategy of self-reliance. Now, there, there are two ways that the awareness of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, should bring about obedience. Right? The, the first way, the presence of the Lord in his holiness. The knowledge of the perfect, almighty, gloriously righteous judge. 
the judge of all the earth, the one in front of whom we will all stand one day to give an account of everything we've done, he's present. He sees you. He sees you in your best moments. He sees you in, his, in your worst moments. He is right there. He knows every thought. Knowing his perfect holiness, that, that he is omnipresent. He is always everywhere completely present at all times, we should tremble. That should stop us in our tracks. We're tempted by sin and recognizing that the the holy God is here watching. It should bring about fear, fear of the Lord and obedience. But that's not what's going on here. That's not exactly what's happening. What's going on here is the the presence of the Lord here is not about his omnipresence in in a general sense, but about his special presence, his personal presence. And it's not as the one who will judge all unrighteousness, but his presence as the one who comes with favor, with love, with care. His presence as the one who will richly bless those who walk in faith and obedience. That's the picture the Lord is painting for Isaac. Isaac, I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. Follow me. Trust me. It will go well for you. This is going to overflow to your good if you would just walk according to my commands. Just as he blessed Abraham, he's saying now to Isaac, Obey me, trust me, and my loving, caring, protecting, personal presence will be with you. I will bless you. Do we understand the Lord's commands in that way? His call for us to to follow him is a call into blessing. Hebrews 11.6 says, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. It's paramount to following God. Right beside believing that he exists is the need to believe that he rewards those who seek after him, that he's good, that there's joy and blessing and and reward in obedience to God. David, praying in, in Psalm 119, 35 to 37, he says this, Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So often, we begrudge obedience. We see the things that our heart longs after and and we frustrated and with self-pity say, well, I'm going to obey God. This is some kind of sacrifice, some kind of hardship that we have to walk in, in obedience. But that's nonsense. That's not reality. Do you, do you believe that God is good? Do we not delight to, to walk in his ways? Do you believe that, that that is where we find true life is in him? Listen to what Jesus says, John 10.10. 10. The thief, that's 
Satan, the snake from the garden, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do, do we believe him? Do you see the, the presence of the Lord and that he rewards those who seek him? That obedience to him is, is the way to blessing. It's the way to joy, to, to abundant life. To know God in that way, to know that he is with us in that way ought to obliterate any thought of disobedience, wouldn't it? If we write God out of the picture, if we begin to think of ourselves as kind of being out on our own to our, our own devices, we wonder and we're tempted and we think maybe, maybe the best way to deal with this problem is just to drink it away for now. Maybe it would be better to, to indulge in this show that continues to tantalize my lust. I can justify it. Maybe it would be better to parent my children out of anger. Seems to work, at least for right now. Maybe we better to tell that small lie that will protect my reputation, that will get me just a little more ahead in my career. Maybe true life, maybe joy is found down that path. Sinful schemes promise us this kind of joy. They plead their case to our hearts and, and we begin to believe them. Every time we sin, we've believed it. We believe that there's joy that way. But those are the lies of the thief. The one whose very name is the deceiver who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If we truly believe, if we actually see the reality that God is with us, like right here, personally present, and that he stands ready to, to pour out his blessings on those who obey him, those who walk with him, those who seek him, wouldn't, wouldn't that settle it? Wouldn't that just dispel any temptation of sin completely like smoke in the wind? Wouldn't that make obedience to him just the easiest, most obvious choice every time? It would. Absolutely it would. It would be joyful obedience. We're told in that day we'll be like him because we will see him as he is. We'll get it. We'll finally understand. And sin loses all power. Do I trust the promises of sin? Do I trust the promises of God? The Lord says, I will be with you. I will bless you. That should give us faith for obedience. That's God's presence. Secondly, the Lord says, I am with you. And we see this call to faith through opposition. Look with me, verses 12 to 25. Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up and filled with earth all the wells that his, father, that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. 
So Isaac departed from there, and he encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a wellspring of water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and quarreled over that also, and so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. And so he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him, in the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. And so we built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So immediately in this next frame, we see God's blessing. God's grace is here. Isaac trusted in the Lord. He, he stayed in the land. At the same time, the moments later, he failed to trust the Lord. He, he lied about his wife. And yet the Lord blesses him in grace, even in his weakness and his sin. I think, again, we should implicitly see that uh, reference to Abraham. He trusted the Lord. It was counted to him as righteousness. But this is huge blessing. Isaac sowed a field which was abnormal for him. He's a, a sojourner, a traveler, a herdsman, but he, he planted a field and reaped a hundredfold. Um, most of our farmers have finished getting their crop in. I don't know if anyone got a hundred times what they planted. Um, that seems to be impressive for all the farming knowledge I have. Um, but God has blessed him. So much so that the locals, the Philistines who live there, begin to become jealous of him, envious they had filled up the wells that Abraham had dug. There's a little parenthetical note preparing us for what's to come. Um, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, could see this tension growing, and, and he's intimidated by Isaac and his wealth and his family. And so he says to Isaac, go away from here. Like, move on. You're, you're too big for us. This is going to cause a problem. Uh, and so Isaac departed. He went from there, uh, encamped in the valley of Gerar. Um, but it's not far. Um, we can throw the map up, give you an idea of what we're looking at. Hopefully you can see that from where you're at. Um, this is kind of the life of Isaac, the, the purple line going up to the top. That's Rebekah coming down from Ur. Um, the story of Isaac here begins with him living in the Negev. That's kind of that orange circle area. It's a big region in the south end of the promised land. When the famine came, um, he went to Gerar. Gerar is uh, the town there uh, at the end of the Green Arrow, um, just over toward um, the Mediterranean. And then he's now moved to the valley of Gerar. That's the tip of the Red Arrow. So really, he's not moved far. He's just kind of stepped. Gerar is kind of the, the bigger gray area, but more specifically, the town of Gerar there, the Green Arrow. Now he's just kind of moved out of town. Um, still in the promised land, still nearby, um, 
obviously near enough that he's still in conflict with the herdsmen from Gerar. And so you can imagine um, in this arid climate, having a well is a really big deal, especially in the midst of a famine, uh, a drought. And whoever dug the well would name the well, and the name of the well serves as, as witness to the owner of the well. And so the herdsmen of Gerar are trying to erase Abraham's legacy. They're trying to remove Isaac's influence by filling in the wells that Abraham had dug. That's a huge sacrifice for them, but it's worth it. They want to just kind of wipe the slate clean. We'll dig our own wells. We'll name our own wells, and we'll have them. On the other hand, Isaac is going around, redigging the wells that Abraham had dug, and renaming them by the name that Abraham had given them. And so there's this battle for the, really the right to exist in the land. Verse 19, Isaac's servants dug a well in the valley and they hit a spring, spring water, running water coming out. This is jackpot. The herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with them. They challenged Isaac's ownership. Hey, this is, this is our well. We dug that. We found that first, whatever their argument was. And so he names the well Essek, which means dispute or argument or contend. And, and so um, it's a debated well. They went and dug another well, found water again. But again, the herdsmen of Gerar challenged them. And so he calls this one Sitna, which means opposition or challenge. And you can just imagine the, the frustration building in Isaac. It's no small thing to dig a well. That's a, that's a big job. And every well that he's dug is contested. It's challenged. It's argued about. He's been pushed out by Abimelech and now continue to getting pushed out by the herdsmen. They're trying to erase his father's legacy, his, his ability to live in the land. The Lord told him, stay in the land. God said, stay here and I'll bless you. And yet every time he turns around, there's new opposition. Something else goes wrong. Something else falls apart. Something else isn't going the way it should. He just can't catch a break. Finally, Verse 22, they dug another well. This one finally is not contested. And so they, they breathe a sigh of relief. Isaac calls it Rehoboth, which means space. Finally, we have, we have room to breathe here. Finally, we have somewhere that we can just exist. From Rehoboth, Isaac travels to Beersheba. That's the, the yellow arrow back in the area from which he had come. And there the Lord appeared to Isaac again. In the wake of all this opposition and frustration and nothing going right, um, verse 24, the Lord says to Isaac, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for the sake of my servant Abraham. There's this second statement of the Lord's presence. I am with you. Even in the midst of opposition, even in the middle of the, the trials and frustrations, the Lord says, I'm with you. I said I would be, and I have been. I'm here. So Isaac builds an altar there, and he worships the Lord, and he pitched his tent there, and they dug another well there. And the Lord's blessing is on Isaac. But it's not the end of his struggle didn't mean life was easy. didn't mean things all went the way that, that they were supposed to go. It wasn't a walk in the park. 
God blessed Isaac and Isaac faced immediate opposition and struggle and trial. It was difficult for him to continue in obedience to the Lord. But as he comes out the other side of this particular conflict, it's not the end of his struggles by any means, but it's this moment of reprieve. The God who said, I will be with you in verse three now says, I am with you in verse 24. I'm here, Isaac. I'm with you. Right in the middle of the conflict, right in the middle of the struggle and the opposition and the trial, I'm here. So Isaac built an altar and he worshiped the Lord. He finds peace here, rest here in the presence of the Lord, the reality that, that God is with him. The presence of the Lord should give us faith in the midst of opposition, in the middle of hardship and, and frustration, in the middle of, of trial and, and sorrow and struggle, the brokenness of this world. The Lord says to his children, I'm here, I'm with you. He's preparing one morning to, to go to a hospital to visit dear friends whose daughter was very likely on her deathbed. Last thing I wanted to do was walk into that room without something of substance to say, without some meaningful word of comfort. And so almost instinctively, I turned to Philippians chapter four, um, verses four to seven, familiar verse do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful passage. But as I contemplated that passage and its application and preparing to walk into this room filled with utter pain, it was unhelpful. Don't be anxious. That's it. That's what I'm supposed to tell them. Just stop being anxious and pray. And then you'll have peace. Is that the way this is supposed to work? And that seems fine if you're anxious about whether or not you got a parking ticket or if you lost your wallet, but when I'm really supposed to walk into this hospital room and just tell them not to be anxious? Is that really going to bring comfort and peace or just more burden? And turmoil. I'm trying. Clearly, I'm failing at that now. It's crushing. And as I contemplated verses six and seven, um, by God's grace, my eyes were turned to the, the last words of verse five. You know, those little numbers are not inspired, those are just added for reference. The last words of verse five, that's actually where we find our hope. That's the true foundation of our prayer and our peace. Verse five ends with the words, the Lord is at hand. God is with you. He is near. His personal presence is here in the middle of it. So don't be anxious. There's a reason not to be anxious. It's not a, it's not a command, it's a promise. The Lord is at hand. Both in his presence and in his coming, he's near. God is with you then we can have peace. Then I have something I can actually hold on to, a reason to fight against that anxiety. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. God is near me. Believer, do you rest 
in the reality of his presence in times of trial, in frustration. Doesn't mean trial ends, doesn't mean everything goes well and, and everything's walking through the daisies. But in hardship and trial and burden of, of grief and pain, do you know that the Lord is with you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three men thrown into the furnace for their obedience, sentenced to death by fire. Nebuchadnezzar looked and, and he's astonished and he asked, did, did we not throw three men into the furnace? And then Daniel 3.25 it says, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. The Lord was with them. He was there in the fire, in the furnace. He didn't remove it. He didn't take it away, but he walked with them through the middle of it and he protected them. Because of the presence of the Lord there, they are unbound and unhurt. Isaiah 41, 8 to 10, the Lord says this, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and have not cast you off, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's how God deals with his chosen ones, those whom he loves, those whom he has called and gathered for the glory of his name. He will not forsake them. He will be faithful. He says, I'm with you. Are you burdened this morning? Are you feeling opposition and struggle? The attack of sin and temptation? Maybe it's the sting of sickness, even death. Brokenness in your relationships, brokenness in your own self. This world is a broken place. It's a brutal place. It's a hard place. It's not our home. But as we sojourn through this world, this inescapably and irreparably marred by sin world, the Lord calls out to his own and says, I'm with you. Do not fear, I'm with you. The presence of the Lord should give us faith in obedience, trusting in his goodness as we trust him, and faith through opposition, knowing his care, knowing his sovereign presence in the midst of it, Finally, we see the words, Lord, uh, the words of uh, Abimelech to Isaac, saying, the Lord has been with you. The Lord has been with you. And here we see the presence of the Lord should give us faith uh, under observation. Under observation. Look at verses 26 to 33. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And so we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, 
that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have not done and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace you are now the blessed of the lord so he made them a feast and they ate and drank and in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we found water, and he called it Shebath. Therefore, the name of the city is called Beersheba to this day. We're going to leave verses 34 and 35 for for next week, but we see here uh, the faith in obedience leads to this faith through opposition And it brings about this display of his faith under observation. Abimelech and Ahuzath and Phicol, they they, they come to meet Isaac in Beersheba. They had once sent him away and now they're following him. And Isaac kind of makes fun of them for that. I thought you didn't want to be near me. Now here you are. Clearly these Philistines have been watching Isaac and his life through all of this. And they've seen his obedience. They've also seen his failures but they saw the blessing of the Lord on his life. And they looked on as he faced this opposition with their herdsmen and and their conclusion in verse 28 is, is we see plainly the Lord has been with you. Isaac's life under observation from the outside, under scrutiny, shows more than just good character, more than just moral standards, more than perseverance and steadfastness, it shows the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord in Isaac's life that, that causes these worldly rulers to want to have peace with him. So much so, you see, they come to him with this, uh, you know, we've never done anything wrong to you, maybe a little glossed over, maybe a little one-sided. Be kind to us. Just remember how, how kind we were to you? They want to form a a peace treaty. Isaac agrees to such a treaty. And just to cap it off, that very day, uh, the servants of Isaac come on in and and tell him once again they've found water. They've dug another well and it's been successful. This again is just the Lord's blessing on them. And just as Abraham made a treaty with Abimelech at a well called Beersheba, um, Isaac makes a treaty with Abimelech at the same well, redug, and names it Beersheba. Um, yes, it already was Beersheba, and again, he calls it Beersheba, um, just as his father had. The, the presence of the Lord is in Isaac's life, and it's evident to those around him. He was on display to the nation's uh, that God is faithful. Again, even though they saw his imperfections, they saw him lying about his wife, but but louder than that and clearer than that and and above that, they saw his walk with the Lord. And they saw the difference that his faith made in his life and, and they wanted it. They wanted peace with Isaac because Isaac had God's favor. And notice their words in verse 28. They don't say... Um, We've seen some mysterious force at work in your life, Isaac. We don't know what it is, but clearly the powers are with you. No, they say, we see that the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, has been with you. How is it that these pagan rulers know the the covenant name of God? There's only one way they know that. Isaac has told them. 
probably Abraham before him. He told them, Yahweh has commanded me to stay here. What are you doing here? Isaac, why wouldn't you go down to Egypt? Because Yahweh commanded me to stay. Yahweh has promised to bless me here. Yahweh was faithful to my father and Yahweh will be faithful to me. Yahweh has blessed me and so I built an altar that everyone can see and I worshiped him. He lived his faith out in the open. Those around him not only saw it, but they were drawn to it. The presence of the Lord ought to be visible in our lives. We ought to be clear and honest. Why do you do these things? Why do you live that way? Why don't you join us here? Because I love Jesus. I'm following God. This is what God has commanded. I think God's way is good and right. Let me show you. Got to be visible. 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Church, under the new covenant, we are God's new chosen race. We are his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his own possession. Why? For what purpose? So that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. That's our job to put the glory of God on display as we trust in him. And so Peter goes on to say, we have to live such good lives among the unbelievers that even though they might accuse you of evil, even though like Abimelech, they might say, please go away from here. I don't like it when you come out with us because you, you make us feel judged or whatever it is. Hopefully it's the gospel, not our, not our pride. So they might ask you like Abimelech to, to leave. You might make them uncomfortable, but in the end, they might see the work of the Lord in us and come themselves to trust in him. Your life, the, the decisions you make, the, the way you do business and handle your finances, the way you run your home and, and your kids, it says something about the Lord. Is it putting God on display? We ought to live openly, clearly, verbally pointing back to Christ. Do you trust him in obedience? Do you trust him through opposition? Do you live it out in a way that clearly points back to the goodness and the glory of God? Because he's with us. He's with us. That's our mission, church. Jesus' last words to his disciples in the book of Matthew Hopefully these are not new to you. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. That's our mission in this world. The glory of God would be on display as the message and the promises of God, the rescue of God 
the forgiveness of sin, the blessing of the Lord that, that was graciously purchased for us on the cross of Jesus Christ might be spread from us to the ends of the earth. Don't miss how Jesus concludes this great commission. Did you notice I cut it off short? His final sending words to his disciples in the book of Matthew are, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you all the way. I'm with you. Even in this, I am with you. I'm with you to to bless you in obedience. I'm with you to sustain you in opposition. I'm with you to empower you as ambassadors of this gospel with boldness and grace to the very ends of the earth. He's with us. Jesus himself, of course, is the very embodiment of that great truth. His name is called Emmanuel, God with us. God himself come to rescue. God himself dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, reconciling us to him, purchasing there for us all of the blessings of God. It's because of the work of Jesus that God is with us and not against us. Last week we celebrated three baptisms. In in baptism we proclaim that we have been crucified with Christ, that I have this new life in him, that the old me no longer lives and the new me uh, is is alive in Christ and, and, and is Christ living through me. We're baptized once as a symbol of the the new birth, the new beginning, the new life that we have in him. We're also uh, called to celebrate communion regularly. And we do that over and over again until the Lord returns. Baptism is the symbol of the, the beginning of that new life. Communion is the symbol that this new life that we continue to have from him is only lived by continually resting in him. We're perpetually indebted to his grace. We are perpetually sustained and strengthened by his life. It's this constant reminder that we need him with us. So we're going to celebrate communion together, Roman and Beth, if you want to join and prepare to lead us in worship. It's this reminder that we need him, that he is with us. But on top of that, it's this constant declaration this outward proclamation of the goodness of God to us as undeserving, the blessing of God to those who who trust him. So if you're a believer this morning, if you're trusting in Christ, again, not perfectly, but repentant, walking with him, this this is for us to gather together, to say, I need Jesus. My life is in him and I need him again today. And also to declare to, to one another and, and to a watching world. He's my God. I'm waiting for him and we will continue to walk in him, relying on him like we rely physically on food and drink. Spiritually, we rely on Christ every day until he comes. So would you stand? We're going to sing together. Um, you'll find two cups, um, the bread in the top, the juice in the bottom. Just hang on to those and um, I'll come up and lead us in partaking together in a moment.